Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The sermon text is the epistle reading. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus. How have you mourned the death of a fellow believer? A spouse? A sibling? A child? A parent? A friend? A neighbor? A fellow GLCer. This is really on my mind because I did a lot of weeping last weekend at my good Roman Catholic friend's memorial service, Robert. A good friend of mine. It was a tough weekend. The only picture out there on Facebook world uh, is me and Ruth smiling at a restaurant, one of our favorite restaurants in, uh, in Owego, New York. But that does not encapsulate the weekend at all. Lots of grief, lots of mourning, lots of weeping. I thank the congregation for giving me that time to spend with the widow and her family. Thank you. But it was tough. Really tough. Tears in the face of death are universal. But how are Christian tears different? They're supposed to be different. And that's Pastor Paul's point in our epistle reading. It's also the problem that he was facing with those Christians in Thessalonica. The Christians in Thessalonica grieved a bit like unbelievers, a bit like pagans who had little or no hope, thinking they were leaving their dead in the rear view mirror, leaving them behind. Now the Christians in Thessalonica, they were, they were baby Christians. They were new to the faith. They had lots to learn, even more to unlearn. They were coming out of paganism, for crying out loud. And their old religion taught them that death was final. The dead were dead, and they stayed dead. Here's a common inscription on graves at this time, uh, rather stark and dark. Hopes are for the living. Without hope are the dead. But even for those who were alive, there wasn't a lot of hope. I mean, the average lifespan was 30. Only 5% of folks made it to the age of 50. Mortality for children sky high. It's estimated that 40% of those in the Roman Empire at this time did not even make it to their first birthday. These folks were surrounded by death. It was all around them. The stench, the sights, the sounds. Even though these pagans, these, these unbelievers, they believed that you know, death was final, they still mourned, they still wept, they still grieved for their dead. I mean, they had tear ducts for crying out loud. They used them. But they wept, they grieved, they mourned for the dead they would never, ever see again. The living moved on. The dead stayed behind. They were stuck in the past. 
no hope at all for those who died. And so the tears that rolled down the faces of these pagans, these unbelievers, were tears mingled with doubts, despair, darkness, and doom. Pastor Paul did not want the Christians in Thessalonica to grieve like that. To grieve in a different way, a new way, a Jesus way. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So what was Pastor Paul addressing? These Christians in Thessalonica had a question that hounded them, harassed them, haunted them. This question, what will happen to my brothers and sisters who died in the faith? Who died before the coming of Jesus, the return of the King, the last day? What will happen to them? Now, their old religion, paganism, taught them that death was final. The dead were stuck in the past. No hope for them, no future at all. But now they believed in the resurrection. They did. They believed in the resurrection, so, so they're dead. Not stuck in the past. There was hope for them. They would be alive with them one day. But they still felt like they were leaving their dead behind. Why? Why? Good question. Now the Christians in Thessalonica believed that Jesus would return on the last day. We believe that too, right? We're going to confess that. After the sermon, we don't know the day or the hour. They didn't either. They believed Jesus was going to come back at any second. We do too. He could come back the next second. <laughs> so we're ready 24-7 for the return of our king. But these Christians in Thessalonica believed that when Jesus returned... Only the living, only those who were, who were alive at that time would enjoy the grand finale from the very beginning. Front row seats to the end of all crying and sighing and dying. It's like, you know, the Christians who would be alive at the last day had it so much better than those who were six feet under. Now, Pastor Paul, he, he, he explodes this false belief. He, he squashes it, doesn't he? Verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Christians in Thessalonica believed that their brothers and sisters who died in the faith would miss out. They'd miss out. They would be raised, uh, you know, at a, at a later stage, but they wouldn't be raised when the trumpet blast sounded on the last day. Oof. Not good. Now there would be a difference in status between those who were alive when Jesus returned and those who were dead when he returned. And the Christians in Thessalonica did not like this stinking thinking at all. It made them sad and mad and also, well, ticked off a tad. 
They wanted the dead, their loved ones who died in the faith, to experience the fullness of the glory and the majesty and the beauty of the last day together with them from the beginning. Not later. Now their grief verged on the kind of grief that they had as pagans. Little or no hope. Now we may not grieve more and weep as unbelievers, as pagans, but it's quite possible that we have thought that our, our loved ones who died in the faith have left us behind, left us in the rearview mirror, making it so easy for us to become cynical and critical. See, our problem isn't so much that we believe that we have left our dead behind, but that they have left us behind. That's more our problem. Death stings. <clears throat> Leaving a wound that festers and oozes and pusses for days, for weeks, for months, for years, maybe even for an entire lifetime. We uh, have ways of dealing with the pain. One way to deal with the pain is to cover it up with cynicism and criticism. You know the expressions, the sayings. You might have actually used them yourself. I know I have. Lord, how could you let this happen? I thought you loved me. I'm left to pick up all the pieces. I have, I have no one who truly understands my pain and my grief. I am so, so alone. I don't know where to go from here. I'm lost. It's just not fair. We could have had so many more years together. I feel robbed. Why did the Lord do this to me? He knew that I needed that person in my life. Dear friends, do not keep these emotions that you have in the face of death locked up inside you. Do not, you know, bottle them up. Don't walk around with that uh, smiley face mask on 24-7. Don't uh, make your confession, your creed, the Lego movie theme, everything is awesome. Don't numb the pain with alcohol. Food, busyness, work, shopping, entertainment, etc., etc., etc. Direct all of the criticism, all of the cynicism to the Lord. We can't surprise him, dear friends. There's no way to actually shock and awe him 
He already knows what we are experiencing better than we do. And what we discover when we dump on the Lord, let our feelings out in the face of death, our true feelings, what we're really feeling. We discover that the Lord accepts us, loves us, meets us right where we are. But here's the thing. He doesn't actually keep us there. (laughs) He doesn't keep us where we are. That's not his business. See, it's through pain, through suffering, through loss, that he is leading us and growing us in ways that are beyond our wildest imagination, beyond our comprehension. We can't can't fully grasp it. But it's good. He is good. We trust him. Our future is not bleak, stark, and dark. Our future is not one of emptiness, but fullness. Not one of barrenness, but fruitfulness. Not one of loss, but but the greatest gain. Not one of loneliness, but the biggest, bestest reunion ever. So let's not, you know, camp out in the cynical and the critical, okay? Let's not camp out there and stay there. But let's walk and weep and work and worship with the Lord in, 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 H-O-P-E, hope. For the Lord Jesus will soon bring us out of today's morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, into that eternal Easter morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, where we will enjoy a family reunion that has no end. No one's going to miss out on the last day, whether dead or alive, whether above the ground or below the ground. Our loved ones who died in the faith are not second-rate, second-class, second-tiered Christians. Pastor Paul, he, he makes that crystal clear. Verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. See, the hope we have is rooted, anchored, grounded in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That makes our hope not wishful thinking. That makes our hope unsinkable, unshakable, unconquerable. After all, Jesus was born into a human family and experienced mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, weeping, grieving, so that he could rise on Easter morning and gather us into his family that's marked by hope. Hope in the midst of weeping, grieving, mourning. Now there's a hymn that we're going to be singing next month. A hymn that gets me scratching my head. Away in a manger. Especially this stanza. The cattle are lowing. The baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no. Crying he makes. (laughs) No, it's a fine hymn. I'm not going to try to bash the hymn here. Actually, this is a a hymn near and dear to my heart, and yours too, part of our 
childhood, right? But I don't like that part about Jesus not crying. He's born into a human family. He ain't a robot. He got tear ducts. He used them at every stage of his life. He cried as an infant, as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. Jesus entered fully into our humanity. I love it. I love it. See, exactly. Jesus did not remain a cryless baby, okay? That is absolutely true. Um, what a joy to know that we have a God who doesn't, you know, just put a toe in the water. He, he does a cannonball into this world. He experienced, he faced loss and grief and pain and suffering firsthand more than we ever will have to. More than we, we actually can. The death of his guardian, Joseph. The death of his friend, Lazarus. The death of his cousin, John the Baptist. And when confronted with his own death, he experienced the deepest of grief. We know this because of the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that play out, right? Matthew 27, 37 and 38. And taking with him Peter and two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. His grief did not keep him from the cross because his mission was always to pave a path, a way, a road through every single loss. See, Jesus there on the Friday we call good, he faces every single loss that brings us tears, grief, mourning, sadness, the loss of a job, the loss of a friendship, the loss of a marriage, the loss of our health, the loss of an unfulfilled dream, the loss of our memory, in our mobility, the loss of a spouse, a child, a parent, a sibling, a friend, a neighbor, a fellow GLCer, the loss of even our own lives. Dear friends, fix your eyes on the cross and see there every single loss that you have experienced every single loss that you are now currently experiencing and every loss that you could actually experience. And then remember the words, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. See, Good Friday is no dead end for Jesus. Here is the one who faced on the cross hell itself. The hell that we deserved for all of our sin, all of our stinking thinking, all of our unbelief and doubts, all of our high treason and rebellion. And he came and he saw and he conquered. He rose victoriously from the grave on Easter morning to fill all of our mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, with hope, with hope, unwavering, unshakable, unsinkable hope. No loss, no gut punch, no diagnosis, 
No broken relationship. No disease. No death. Is F-I-N-A-L. Final. Why? Because we have been baptized into this Jesus who died and rose so that we who die, that is before, you know, obviously in the last day, will rise, be raised with him. You can count on it. We're family, his family, and he will not leave his brother, his sister behind. Not the brother who's above ground when he comes. Not the sister who's below ground when he comes. All will be gathered together on the last day. No one's going to miss out, folks. And that's Pastor Paul's point when he says in verses 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. What a family reunion awaiting us. A family reunion that's just around the last day corner. Everyone will be there to kick it off. Whether dead or alive, whether in the ground or above the ground, all will be transformed, made new, resurrected, meeting the Lord. And that word meeting is so pregnant, it's full of meaning. It's a Greco-Roman word that has to do with a people of a city meeting their emperor outside the gates on a state-sponsored visit, and they join the emperor on that last leg of his journey into the city. Do you see the picture? Do you get what Pastor Paul is putting down? On the last day, when that J-Day, Judgment Day trumpet sounds, both the dead and the alive will meet Jesus, our emperor, our lord, our king, our mighty deliverer, and we will join him for that final leg of his journey to this earth, renewed, restored, regenesized. Everyone enjoying a beginning that has no end. And we, dear friends, will enjoy an Easter morning that goes on forever, every tear wiped from our eyes. And when that day comes, I will see Robert, probably holding a guitar. He loved his folk music. He'll have to put it down to give me a big bear hug. And you will see all of your loved ones who died in the faith, too. What hope we have, dear friends. What hope? We're on this journey from morning to morning, from, from morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, to morning, M-O-R-N-I-N-G. Let every single sunrise, like, like, like the one that was so beautiful this morning, let every single sunrise remind you of this eternal morning that's coming just around that last day corner. Our tears will not last. They can't last. Until every eye is dry, let's, let's gather around the marks of hope and encourage, strengthen, comfort the morning. 
all the way to that eternal morning. When all mourning, weeping, grieving will be in the rear view mirror. Dear friends, the Lord's Supper, this right here, marks of hope. Hear the wounds of Jesus that heal and deliver and save. Hear the wounds of Jesus given and shed for you. Hear the wounds of Jesus that we eat and drink together. Here, dear friends, we meet the one who has already faced every single loss. There on the cross, and rose on Easter morning like a boss. And now fills us with the power of his resurrection. So no matter what loss you're experiencing now, Jesus is stronger, bigger, better, grander, mightier. He is strong to save. We are a people who have hope. Hope that will never, ever put us to shame. These marks of hope, dear friends, they comfort us. Now this word encourage in our text can also mean comfort. And here we, we get some good comfort food. Food that strengthens us. The word, the word comfort actually means to strengthen. And you know this already because the word fort is already in the word comfort. Fort like fortress, stronghold, defenses. This is the true comfort food. This food is fortified with Jesus so that we are now fortified to face every single loss in this life, knowing that we are going to go through, through the loss into the greatest gain, through every tear and fear into that resurrection morning. But not only do we have this comfort food, we have one another, as Pastor Paul says. Therefore, encourage, comfort one another with these words. The words we use to comfort one another are these words from Pastor Paul that remind us that, well, no one's going to be left behind. No one's going to be left in the rearview mirror. So, so let's, let's, let's live that. Let's encourage one another, comfort one another, strengthen one another by not ignoring the mourning, but by sitting with them, by praying for them, by listening to them, until all of today's morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, gives way to that eternal Easter morning. No one left behind, folks. How do we grieve as Christians? With H-O-P-E, hope. And that, dear friends, is the Christian difference Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.